Our passage uh, from today is uh, from Proverbs chapter 5. You can follow along on the screen behind me, or if you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, you can follow along there as well. And we are continuing our sermon series as we look through uh, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, of course, is is a, a book written by King Solomon. It's full of all sorts of short, pithy statements and verses about a variety of topics. Um, today, the topic, of course, is we're looking at the, the topic of, of sexuality. Let's begin with verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan, and when your flesh and body are spent, you will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction, I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Kind of tough, uh, heavy stuff, the topic of, uh, of, of, of sexuality. Is it me or is it kind of warm in here right now? I'm a little bit, uh, if you're uncomfortable, I'm probably more uncomfortable, just so you know. But today we're going to be looking at the topic of, of God's wisdom on, on sexuality. I want to begin by saying this up front. All of us fall, for, fall short in this area. None of us are perfect or pure in every area of our sexuality, whether it's word or deed or thoughts in the past or the present. We all fall short in this area. So we want to begin with a, a note of humility that we all need grace and help and strength from God in this area. Having said that, we're going to dig in because the Bible talks about it quite a bit. And in fact, the book of Proverbs, two and a half chapters, chapters five, six and seven, deal with this topic of of sexuality. And and, and sexuality is a a special gift of God. It's a creation of God that he's given the human race. And and it has incredible powers for good and for bad. I mean, this past week I was in Colorado for a couple days with some pastor buddies and we were hiking and uh, we drove past an area that I've been to a, a number of times over the years. And a few years back, there was a forest fire burned through there and, and just devastated everything. And it's been interesting to me to see the growth over the years. You, you, every a couple of years, I'll go through the area and you'll see trees and flowers. And in some areas, you can barely even tell that there was a fire in the first place. There's new growth and there's life and there's health and there's regeneration. So think of, we want to begin with a metaphor. If you can think about sex, the gift of sex like a fire. If it's in its proper boundaries, proper constraints, what does it do? It provides warmth. It provides strength. It provides a a place to to gather together for community and intimacy. It, It provides life. But if it's outside of its boundaries, it's destructive. It can tear down. It can hurt. It can harm. It can It can scar. So we want to begin by thinking about, say up front, that that sexuality is a gift from God. Often in the church we say, oh, let's not talk about that. Well, the Bible talks about it. It's a gift from God. God created us as sexual beings. We're spiritual beings. We're emotional. We're physical. We're mental. But we're also sexual beings. 
You know, one sociologist pointed out that human beings are the only ones who procreate face to face. Because for us, it's not just about biology. It's not just about the act. There's something happening soul to soul, person to person. And we go back to the beginning in Genesis 1, we find that God designed human sexuality to teach us about himself and what his love is like. I mean, think about it. The Bible in Genesis tells us that in sex, one person loses themselves and the other. The two become one. Separate and distinct, mysteriously they become one. Which is like the Trinity, says Paul. Different persons, one essence. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A relationship of incredible intimacy and oneness. Now, some of you are listening and you're thinking, well, it's not that big a deal. It's not hurting anybody. We think it's not a big deal, but the Bible tells us clearly that it is. If it's not expressed properly, it's like a fire. It can burn. It can harm. It can scar. It can destroy. For some of you sitting here today, pornography is destroying your soul. And I'm talking to both men and women here today. It's increasingly an issue for females as well. For some of you sitting here today, your craving for romance and, and sex is so out of balance that you become obsessed with being married or getting into the right marriage and that idolatry is, is ruining your life. So, so this morning, as we begin, I'm going to ask God to speak into our lives, our lives, because we all struggle in some way or another in this area. And I believe that when we, we submit this area of our life to God and we express it in the way that God wants us to express it, it becomes a source of blessing to us and to those around us. One of my favorite authors and pastors is a man named Tim Keller. Uh, he is a pastor, just retired actually, but he's an author, but he was a pastor in Manhattan, uh, not Kansas, Manhattan, New York, downtown New York. Uh, built a wonderful church there. And he says this about our culture and its view of sex. He says, our culture both undervalues and overvalues sex. First, let's look at how we undervalue it. Our society wants us to believe that sex is just purely physical. It's, it's biological. It's like food. When you're hungry, you eat. You know? Or it's like a sport. You find something you enjoy, you figure out what, what position you're good at, and then you play. So in this view of sex, the really only important question would be, what do I enjoy? What satisfies me? I don't need these boundaries and constraints. They seem dr- you know, draconian or Victorian and old-fashioned. Um, So our society seems to want us to believe that sex is just physical. But why so often, why so often are some of our greatest regrets in this area? When somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, I have to tell you something I've never told anybody else. It's almost always about some sort of sexual issue in the past or the present. Everything in our experience screams out that sex is not just physical, but there's something more powerful much greater at work, part of God's design and purpose. The passage from Proverbs 5, it was just read. We'll pick it up at verse 15 and we'll continue on. Drink water, Solomon says, from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. The, you know, the applications here, the analogy is pretty straightforward. A cistern is an, an image of a female sexuality. You go into a cistern to get water. And then he continues in verse 16. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? He's using this as a 
analogy of, of the male sexuality. Then he says, let them, these, these sexual gifts, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. And it gets kind of racy, kind of PG-13 here. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, being intoxicated always in her love. You think that's racy? You should read Song of Solomon. <laughs> you might not realize how countercultural this, this message is. In ancient cultures of, of the time, there were only two reasons really that you got married. One was economic. You married into a family to improve your, your situation financially, so you'd be more secure. You, you, that's one of the reasons. Another reason was fertility. You wanted to have children, so your line would go on long after you were dead and buried. But here we have Solomon talking about sexuality in terms of finding erotic delight in the person you've given your life to for life. In Proverbs 2, he calls a wife the companion of our youth. And the word in Hebrew means something like a a soulmate, a kindred spirit, the person you're meant to be with. This was far different than Solomon's culture's view about sex. They saw it primarily as functionality, as biology, or the satisfaction of an appetite. Let me take you to another passage from Proverbs. Proverbs 30, verse 18. Three things are too wonderful for me. Four, I do not understand. It's, it's called a three-four um, poem in Hebrew. Kind of a, a literary uh, device we use to express wonder. Three things are awesome, but the fourth one, the fourth one blows me away. That's kind of what he's saying here. And he says the three are the way of an eagle in the sky. You can picture this eagle soaring high in the sky. It's incredible to see. The way of a serpent on a rock just slithering effortlessly over the rock. Rock, no legs, but it just moves smooth effortlessly over the rock. How does it do that? And he says a ship. The way of a ship on the high seas. A ship weighing thousands of pounds floating over the seas, carried by the wind. These These are really incredible things to think about, to view and observe, especially back in his day. But then he comes to number four, the one that blows him away. He says, this, this big ultimate mystery is the way of a man with a maiden. There's something mysterious and powerful about, about two people who are in deep love with each other. Songs and poems have been written about this just, just to express the, the beauty and the mystery and the wonder of, of two people who fall deeply in love and give themselves to, to love for life. But then he comes up with this jarring image in verse 20. Verse 20. And this is not gender specific. It can apply to a man or a woman. But this is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. So you have this contrast. The way of a man with a, with a maiden. Awesome. Beautiful. Incredible. And then he goes this, to this picture of this this, this person for whom sex is like sloppy eating. I had an appetite, I ate, I'm done. I wipe my mouth of the traces. That's it, just a snack, just biology, just an urge, a need. No deep mystery here. But that totally misses the incredible wonder that God has built into sex. The two become one. The two become one physically, spiritually, They share their resources, their finances, their families become one, their futures become, their aches and pains, their dreams, their struggles, they become one. 
Sex outside of marriage separates the physical oneness from the oneness of everything else, the way that God designed. In a sense, you're saying to the person, I don't really want all of you yet. Just your body for now. C.S. Lewis had a great analogy for this. He says like the guy who wants to have sex with a girl without marrying her. It's sort of like the girl who, um, the way she feels about uh, food when she's bulimic. He says, the bulimic loves the taste of food. It brings pleasure. It brings comfort. They like the taste. But she doesn't want to carry around the calories and the fat in her body. So she tastes it. She savors it. She draws pleasure from it. Then she vomits it back out. C.S. Lewis says, that's what the guy is doing. I love the taste of you. I love the experience. But I don't want all of you yet. So we'll have sex, but I won't fully unite myself to you. Listen to some folks who don't have a Christian perspective on this, what they have to say. Woody Allen. Uh, we go to him for a lot of wisdom, don't we? Woody Allen. Sex without love is an empty experience. But as empty experiences go, it's one of the best. Katy Perry says this in one of her songs. I don't even know your name. It doesn't matter. You're my experimental game, just human nature. Because we are human, and not animals. It's more than just nature. And it's never just an experiment. There are always consequences, whether we realize that or not. There's a book called Hooked, and uh, it's not a Christian book. It's written by two sociologists who have studied um, uh, the changes in our brain when we have multiple sexual partners, especially when we're young. It says it actually rewires your brain in a way that makes genuine, lasting, selfless relationships much more difficult. They say, I'm going to read a little bit section of their book. The individual who goes from sex partner to sex partner is causing his or her brain to mold in such a way that it eventually accepts that sexual pattern as normal. The pattern of changing partners therefore damages their ability to bond in a committed relationship. I continue. The kind of attachment damage caused by repeated encounters is in many respects more damaging than unwanted pregnancy or STDs. Repeated encounters hinder our abilities to form lifelong and satisfying relationships. And then they conclude, remember these are scientists, you can no more try out sex than you can try out birth. The very act of sex produces a new reality that cannot be undone. Okay, pretty heavy stuff, so I'm going to keep going heavier, okay? Let's talk a little bit of... Let's talk a little bit about the, the damage of pornography. I mean, looking at pornography, perhaps to an even greater extent, kills our capacity for lifelong and satisfying relationships. First, it causes us to start looking at the opposite sex as commodities. Now, let me talk to men here specifically, although this issue is increasingly plaguing women as well. When, when we gaze at pornography, we're looking at an image of a woman whose body we just want to use. Let's be honest. When we look at pictures of women with no recognition that they have a soul, our mind starts to see real women in our lives as objects. Again, this, this is from this book, Hooked, How Casual Sex is Affecting Our Children. And you might say, well, there's, it's harmless. There's, there are no victims in this. I can do this and it doesn't affect me or my relationships. But you're wrong. Looking at porn rewires our brains. 
It might be helpful to think about this. You know, uh, you, you look at Nazi Germany and how they treated the Jews, and you think, how could they do this? Average, ordinary people, how could they get to the place where they just would allow these things and participate, uh, either directly or indirectly, in, in these things that were atrocities? And as, as they looked at this, they say that many Germans got comfortable with committing these atrocities against the Jews. The way that this happened was by hearing them talked about as less than, not worthy, subhuman, in compared to the Germans. And when they began to view the Jewish people in this way, less than, subhuman, more just objects, they became okay with the pain and the suffering because they began to view them differently. So I'm going to be very direct. Men, if you have pornography for the sake of your relationship with, your, with future women or current women in your lives, you need to get rid of it. And if you have on your playlist a song in which a woman was referred to as a bitch or a hoe, it needs to be erased. Because how we train our minds to think about women is how we will begin to see them. The second thing pornography does is it destroys our own capacity for sexual fulfillment. We're actually cheating ourselves. Annie Stanley says that every time you look at porn, you rewire your soul to believe three things. A real body is not good enough. Only one body isn't good enough. And your wife's body isn't good enough. No woman, no matter how beautiful, can live up to what you see in porn. Naomi Wolf, not a Christian, in fact, she's a pretty radical feminist, says this, For most men, real naked women are just bad porn. They cannot compete. Now, I've directed a lot of this issue towards men today. But our society has become just as much an issue for women. You've heard of Fifty Shades of Grey? Wildly successful book and movie. It's soft porn for women made mainstream. These things are not romantic. They're not God-honoring. They're destroying us. Well, that's how we undervalue sex. Here is how we can overvalue sex. Proverbs 11 says this. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion you can, or, or, or character. Again, it applies to both genders. Now, what's Solomon saying here? He's talking about the person who values beauty and sex over character when choosing a spouse. Now, don't get me wrong, we're, of course, supposed to be attracted to our spouse. He's not eliminating sexual attraction in the physical side of a relationship from the equation. He's just saying that there's more than that, that character in the end is the most important. And our culture overvalues sex and beauty. It gives those things entirely too much weight in what we consider the good life. A lot of people put way too much emphasis upon physical looks when they're dating. And they'll settle for less than attractive character if they get the gold ring of, of a knockout. It'd be important for us to remember this. When Proverbs 31 talks about the, the wonderful woman, the blessed woman, the ideal woman, it never once talks about, well, it does talk about beauty, but it talks about it more dis disparagingly. Listen to this. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. In other words, beauty is good. Character is better. That's the gold ring. 
You know, I remember the first time I, I saw my wife, Nancy, b- before we began dating, and I thought she was beautiful. She took my breath away. And, um, but I also remember I watched her at, you know, at work. You know, she, she worshipped in the church. She taught Sunday school for little kids. I watched how she treated other people. I saw the values in her life as I watched her and observed her. I could see the depth of her faith. And that attracted me to her. And she's still beautiful today, but I I see a woman who has given her time and her life to being an incredible mother and wife, uh, to living out her faith in the home and at work and in the church. And there's nothing more beautiful than, than than a beautiful spirit, right? Because I know in the midst of difficult times in the days ahead, you know, when health changes or I get older, I get six chins or whatever, I know, I know she's going to be there for me and with me. Beauty is good, Solomon says. Character is better. Sadly, we see in our culture again that a lot of people, particularly women, are buying this lie that, that they're less than or worthless if they're not physically attractive or the right size or the right look the right dimensions and figure. And because of that, a lot of, a lot of girls will do really destructive things to their bodies to try and look good. Anorexia and bulimia are often built on the assumption that, our, that your primary beauty and identity is established by your shape and your size. This is interesting to me. Eating disorders are three to five times higher among women in industrialized nations than they are in non-industrialized nations. They are two times higher among college students in these same nations than they are among the women at the, in, in the larger population. Tim Keller, again, says that this means that the closer we get to the heart of Western civilization and culture, the more women are bombarded with this message that all that matters is your looks and your character is secondary. Another way that we overvalue sex is we convince ourselves that the good life is impossible without romance and sex. And we're willing to give up just about anything to get that. You think of the stereotype of a guy in his 50s, has a midlife crisis, leaves his lifelong companion, his kids for a younger, sexier woman, even though it destroys his family and his finances. You know, I, I read an article one time where a guy listed out all the things that would happen if he committed adultery. It's quite the list. Untold hurt to his spouse, a loss of respect and trust, damaged relationships with children who may never understand why they were traded for a thrill, shame upon parents and family, shame and judgment upon the partner, disrepute and harm to the Christian witness, and most importantly, grief to the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just not worth it. Some people overvalue sex and that they feel like they cannot be happy unless they are married or married to the right person. They always find themselves envying other people's relationships and imagining how much better it would be if they were married to so-and-so. Beauty and sex are good, Solomon says, but they are not the most important things. He says this in Proverbs 6.23, about what's important in life. For these commands, talking about God's commands, they are the way to life. In other words, Solomon says, walking in obedience, following and obeying God's commands, in a relationship with God, that is where we find life. Not in sex, not in God. I mean, think about this. 
Who is the most joyful, fulfilled, fully alive person who has ever lived? Jesus Christ, right? Single. Died in his 30s of virgin. Not successful. Poor. We find life and purpose and meaning in a relationship with the Father. Now I've done some heavy stuff here today, poking around in private areas. And maybe you're feeling a little irritated or like, why did I show up this Sunday? (laughs) What is he talking about? Um, None of his business. Maybe you're feeling guilty or ashamed or trapped, numb. I've been there. But God's grace is boundless. His love is beyond comprehension and his mercy never, ever runs dry. The Bible is full of people like you and me who have fallen short, who have sinned in word or deed or thought. And time and again, we see God offer forgiveness and new beginnings and hope. King David, caught adultery, part of a murderous scheme, forgiven, cleansed, started again. God says in the scripture, he was a man after my own heart. Rahab, a prostitute, a pagan, given a chance at new life, took it, began anew, part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Paul, persecuted the church, rejected Christ, encountered the risen Christ, was transformed a new man, apostle to the Gentiles. The woman caught in adultery in John 8, where Jesus says this, let the one who has not committed sin cast the first stone. And it says, after the others had left, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, leave your life of sin. I invite you to come to the grace of God. He knows our struggles. He is more than willing to pour out his grace upon us, to wash us, to sanctify us, to to justify us, to help us start anew. Come to God, receive his grace, receive his forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we, we confess that all of us have fallen short in this area, whether it's words or deeds or thoughts, attitudes. We need your forgiveness. Lord, help us, Father, to, to rely upon your goodness, to, to follow your commands and to find that that is truly the way of life, to find our satisfaction and meaning and purpose in you and you alone. Lord, I pray for all those who are married today, strengthen their marriages Uh, Help them to put their focus on you and to serve the other. Help them to forgive any harm or any um, uh, acts that have been done that have created problems, Lord. I pray for those who are uh, single, Lord. I pray for for strength and grace and that um, uh, whether they would like to be married or not, Lord, I pray that you would um, just come alongside them, that they would find their love and their meaning, their purpose and fulfillment in you. Lord, I just thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. And we come to you as sinners in need of your love, but knowing and assured that you, we have it through Jesus Christ. We, we thank you, Lord, that you have borne our sins on the cross. And we trust and rely in your goodness and your faithfulness. Help us, Lord, to honor you with our lives. Help us to honor you with our sexuality. We ask this through Jesus' name. Amen.